0: this new this generation excuse me this generation of god's leaders in this world um, what is the um, what are the implications for us so why don't we start by um in a word of prayer <clears throat> dear lord we come before you <clears throat> first of all just with great thanksgiving in our hearts i'm so thankful that you have um, chosen to call us out of darkness into your light We thank you for a place where we can gather, and we can share, and we can learn about you. We just pray that you would guide us tonight, um, that you would lead us into all truth. Um, We pray that you would give us a greater appreciation for and love for you, and that um, that appreciation and that love would um, turn into actions that demonstrate that appreciation and love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so... You know, interesting tonight, we are going to be looking at um, really, you know, I would say probably um, in terms of sins of leaders the the sin of david is probably the most well known um and certainly this particular sin um is the most well known and talked about and commented upon and that sort of thing and um i think it's you know we're going to look at his his sin the actual act itself his repentance um god's restoration of him Um, Nevertheless, well, I should say, and with a purpose of understanding its implications for us. um, Nevertheless, you know, as I was preparing for tonight, it just dawned on me the magnitude of the subject. Um, Here we are going to look at someone else's sin. Imagine tonight this was your sin. (laughs) And um, and someone, what was that? Let's not and say we did, right? (laughs) So, yeah, imagine it was yours, you know, that we were going to pick apart. And, um, and examine and make some sort of judgment and, and that sort of thing. And um, I just think there's a lot of uh, risk in this subject. Um, and I think we need to um, humbly approach, as we do all, always in God's word, but I certainly think in this particular case, um, we need to humbly approach it. Um, obviously, it's by design that the Holy Spirit chose to have this particular, this particular sin here. Um, and so it is, it's there for a purpose. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bible, if you could turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, um, just briefly before we get into the actual text, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 11 through 13, earlier in that, earlier in that chapter, um, Paul has been talking about the Israelites And them coming into, um, going through the desert and being in, um, working their way toward the promised land. And he talks a lot about their idolatry and the sin and all of those things. Um, And in verse 11, sort of sums this up by saying, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So these things happen to them um, as an example and were written down for our instruction um, I think the same should be said, can be said about this um, in terms of the subject matter tonight. It is definitely there for our instruction. When Paul wrote to Timothy and said that all Scripture is uh, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, um, he meant all of Scripture, um, including these that I think are a little difficult to, to deal with at times, or at least they, they have been for me in, in, preparing, in preparing for this evening. But I will say this. I think that our greatest defense— um, against falling into the same sins as those sins that we read about, really our most effective defense against that is to make note and take caution of the circumstances that led up to their sin. You know, to the extent that we can understand sort of what led up to the sin, um, we perhaps can then create some buffer and some oppor- provides an opportunity for us to not fall into the same sin. Amen. So, you know, last week we talked about the importance of abiding in Christ, and that was built upon the first week where we're talking about being the light of the world and the um, salt of the earth. And I said last week that anytime I use the word leader, that's what we're referencing. And so this importance of abiding in Christ and remaining connected with Christ. And I think that um, what we'll see tonight is the importance, how really important it is to remain attached to that vine, to remain connected to that vine. And not only that. How far we can go if we stray away um, because of sin. When that fellowship with God is broken because of sin, you're going to see in David how far someone can go. Um, and and it, I think it's interesting also with David because he's also this person who has been described as a man after God's own heart. Um, we saw so much last week in his early life. We, we saw so much um, in terms of his care for the sheep. His humility. Um, if you continue to read that story, that narrative, on up to where we are tonight, um, just all that he dealt with with Saul and the way in which he dealt with it. Nevertheless, we also have this great and terrible sin that that is here for our learning. Um, and so, I, I think that the message, some of the message in that, um, is that if that can a can happen to David, it can be happen to me. Um, but. More importantly, or equally as important, is that the same mercy that was shown toward him is the same mercy and forgiveness that can be shown toward me. Um, so there's a lot there that I think we're going to get to learn from there. But um, I want to get into this. I think that, you know, it's... Uh, uh, Great enemy that we have within us and we're going to hit some hard truth tonight. Um, I shared I left a couple of scriptures there for you in your handout um, uh, Isaiah says that my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord um, Paul talks about the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments. And his path beyond tracing out. And I think what my prayer this evening is that we would be able to see what God has left, this record that's been left for us, that we can see it through the lens of God, through God's lens, not through my lens. Um, Sometimes I'm looking at it through my lens, in particular through my Western cultural lens. and, And I think that's where I get, I don't think, that's where I get off track. So keeping in mind that some of these things that we'll look at in terms of what God himself did in dealing with David, that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, and if there's any misunderstanding, it rests with me, because everything he does is just right and good. So therefore, it must be, even if I don't understand it, even if it doesn't seem fair to me, that doesn't change the reality of how fair he is. Amen. Um, in commenting on these verses, R.C. Sproul wrote, um, "Don't hear this story as a uh, don't hear the story of David." And think that is the story of one man's isolated sin. It is my story. It is your story. So we're going to look at Second Samuel, the eleventh chapter. We're going to begin in verse one, and we're going to go through to the, the we're going to go through the fifteenth verse of the twelfth chapter. Um, unlike um, last week, we won't have to sp- spend time on each verse going through this because there's some uh, sizable chunks of verses that we'll comment on as we go through. I have asked a number of you to help me tonight because we've got so many verses to read. And I am, believe it or not, get tired of hearing, hearing my voice. So I'm going to let them hear your voice. Uh, so neither my wife or my mother smile because they don't believe that I'm tired of hearing my voice. <laughs> so, but I really do get tired of hearing my voice. And So I'm going to take the first five verses and then whatever, those of you who agree to read, if you would jump in. So in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle... David sent to Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof, from the roof, a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant.
1: Verse 6, so David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, and David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going, then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't You just come from a military campaign. Why don't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and the Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as I live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his servants, his master's
2: servants. He did not go home. Thank you. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah. And he wrote, "Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then off from him, so he will be struck down and die." So while Joab and the city, uh, so while Joab in the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew was where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle, and instructed the messenger When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jairus, is that? Didn't the woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall? So then God <coughs> said it. Why did you get so close to the wall? He asked, if he asked you this, then say to him, Also your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead.
3: The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Job had sent him to say. the messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open. We drove them back to the entrance, to the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servant from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messengers, "Say this to Joab: Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab." When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord.
2: <clears throat> the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, who said,
1: There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that land four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are
4: the man. Thus says the Lord, the Lord of Israel. I am going to king over Israel, and I have delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wife into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel. And if this were too well, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to you those evil in his sight? You have struck down to Uriah at the his height with a sword and a beaten in his life to be your wife, and have filled me with the sword of the enemy. Now therefore the sword shall never be depart from your house, because you have despised me and have few in wife of Uriah, to be your, wife to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house your life before your eyes, and give your And he shall lie with your lives in, your sight, in your sight For you did it secretly, for you did it secretly, that I will your things for all over and the your time. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan said to David, the Lord also is the you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by his peace, you have utterly to you, the ear, child who is born to child, shall die, then Nathan it
0: Thank you, everyone. What a story! Um, what an account there! Um, particularly for me, I think when I think about the David we talked about just a, a week ago, um, what a what a, a tr- what a change! What a difference we see! Um, I think that there are what I'm going to attempt to do is, is draw out really four key points um, with respect to what I think um, we can learn from David's experience as leaders. Um, one is the criticality of leaders remaining on guard. So the importance for, for always being on guard. Um, the second thing, I think we can I hope we'll be able to draw out is the road to sin in the life of a leader. So what is that road that he was on that sort of led up to the time of his sin? Um, Number three, the effects of the sin in the life of a leader. So what then do we see are the effects of this happening to him? And then finally, um, the unfailing grace and mercy of God toward his people. Um, which we'll see there toward the end. So let's start then with the criticality of leaders remaining on guard. And I I think you see this in the, I'm going to focus on just the first two verses of that 11th chapter, looking at both the time and occasion of David's sin. What I believe is a neglect of duty and also some slothfulness. And I may be judging him too harshly, but hopefully not. I think a little slothfulness also from a time and occasion standpoint. um, If you read from where we left off, right? He had just killed Goliath. And if you read from there to where we are now, um, as a matter of fact, if you just stay in first Samuel, you see some fairly consistent behavior out of David. And you see that God gives him great favor with the people. Um, One of the problems that he ran into with Saul and one of the reasons Saul was so jealous of him is because of that, um, because you do. I don't know if you remember the time he's coming back into the city and, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands and the people love David. Um, so Saul sought out sought to kill him, tried multiple times to do so, but um, was unsuccessful. But in our tonight, in tonight's section that we're looking at, Saul is, is dead. Um, so um, so that all of that time that he went through, all of that testing that he went through that, through that led up to him coming to the throne, that time is past. Um, the second thing we see is that uh, that he is well. As I said, he's actually on the throne, and um, as I t- we talked last week about him being with the stinky sheep, so he's no longer no longer with the sheep. Um, he's now moved actually to the place. Where he had been anointed to go, and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah are now united, um, so we 've got this united Kingdom under David and as is often the case or as sometimes the case we 're not always as watchful when things are at ease now there's war going on we 're going to see that in this very first verse, right, but the reality is things are much better than they had been i mean we've gone from we 've gone from being a shepherd to now sitting on the throne and not just sitting on the throne but sitting on the throne. Over a massive kingdom. And sometimes, I think one of the lessons here is that sometimes when that occurs, that is the perfect time for the enemy to attack. It is the perfect time for the enemy to attack. Um, because we are at a point we, where we are um, somewhat at ease. I think if you look at the, the verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Raba. But David remained at Jerusalem. You know, one of the things we talked about last week with David was how dutiful he was, how he paid attention. Even when he was when he left the sheep, it said he left the sheep with a keeper to go back to Saul. It talked about him going back and forth from Saul. But here we have a time when he's supposed to be out at war and he's remained at home. Now, it's possible. It's possible he had something he needed to do at home. It's possible he had great confidence in Joab. Nevertheless, it was the time when the kings go out to battle. It was the time when they go out in war. And you'll recall, even at the time when he fought with Goliath, the king was there with him, correct? And you, if you look at some of these wars, you will see earlier that David is with his people. But for some reason, he has stayed back this time. He's remained back, um, which I think is, a, is, a, is, is in some ways a neglect of duty. You know, we talked, we talked last week about the importance, the importance of, of our spiritual duties and how, we, how they keep us connected to the vine. So we see with David here just right at the beginning, early on, that everyone's going out to war and he's back at the, he's back at the palace. The other thing I want to point out is I also think we see a little bit of slothfulness. I mean, he really is at ease. You know, notice what it says. It says it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. Now, again, I don't want to read too much into that, but it is the middle of the day and he's hanging out on his couch. I mean, I just, you know, I'm just what you did today. Right, Mary Beth? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) so, yeah. Exactly. So what we have is we have not only is the king back. So as I said, he may have had some things to do. But, the, but it's interesting that the, the Holy Spirit let us know the time of day and what he was doing. At some point, he was very much at ease. You know, we talked about this, this need to remain up to this need to abide in Christ and spiritual slothfulness will leave us unprepared from attacks for the evil one. And we're going to see that with David. Um, that when we, are, when we are not consistently doing those things that keep us connected to that vine, okay, that leaves us open to attacks. Does anybody remember what the three things were we talked about? There's multiple things that can be done to abide in Christ, but there were three we talked about last week. Does anyone remember them? Remember one of them by any chance? Reading the Word. Reading the word. Yes, absolutely. Hmm? Pray without ceasing ceasing. and the third one it happened this morning if you were at church Mm -hmm. truthful preaching yes absolutely that it is through that that through that prayer that praying without ceasing consistently reading the word and having a preacher who is delivering truthful the truthful message of God. Those are things that we do that keep us abiding in Christ and keep us connected to the vine. Again, if you weren't here last week, just just so you would know, we said that the that certainly our communion with God can be broken, but the union with him doesn't get broken. So this is when Christ is talking. I believe when he's talking about the vine. I actually believe that he's talking about that communion with him, not the union with him, so to speak. Some would disagree, but that was the perspective that we took last week. So turn, if you would, to Proverbs, the 24th chapter, because I think when we think about the staying connected to the vine and the importance of that, um, the importance of not neglecting duty, not um, being slothful, the 24th proverb, beginning at verse. Verse 30. All right. Proverbs 24 and 30 through 34. It says, and I passed by the field of a sluggard by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overthrown, overgrown with thorns and the ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come up on you like a robber and want like an armed man. So clearly, I think we have here in this psalm a, a an earthly example of a spiritual condition. Um, certainly, there are some practical Earthly um, wisdom there, right? Because if you were to come and look at the garden in my backyard, which I haven't touched for what's it been five weeks or something like that, I've been preparing for this, so I've got an excuse. But, but but the but the weeds are getting as tall as the flowers. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't take much neglect for the weeds to begin to grow. So certainly, there's a true earthly message there. There's an earthly example, but I don't think he was writing about gardening, necessarily, right? So what if we said, you know, what if we looked at this and we said that this field that he talks about walking by, that this field is our life. And this field, that it's our life and it's a field because it's open to everyone. And so they're able to see it. So he's passed by this field of this sluggard. And then he says that he, that then he references a vineyard. And what if that vineyard was our hearts? It's the part that no one else actually sees. It's that it's the part that only God himself sees. And so in here we have this vineyard is our heart. And he talks about this condition that has arisen because of neglect. When we're talking about staying connected to that vine because of neglect, he says that we've, he's basically saying that it has allowed things that God hates to creep into our lives. That is during those times where we are not doing those things that keep us connected to that vine, that it opens us up to attack. And what's interesting about this to me is that his instruction is, look at three different times he uses the word little. He didn't say a lot of sleep, a lot of slumber, a lot of folding of the hands, but a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. That somehow it doesn't take much for it to turn into something great. That just the, the small amount of neglect can lead to so much more. Um, I can water that flower garden every single day and the flowers never grow as fast as the weeds. They just don't. The weeds have to be pulled out. They seem to grow. All I have to do is stop watching it for a week and you'll come back out and there'll be a bunch of new ones. How much more so with us, the importance of remaining connected to that vine that that as leaders, we have to. Be sure to, that we are dutiful and we have to be sure that we're doing those things that are keeping us connected to the vine. Or much like David, we find ourselves, this is what led up to the sin. Amen? Amen. Finally, uh, in the same section, I also think that watchfulness is critical to a leader's fruitfulness. Um, you know, Peter says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, who to, seeking someone to devour. We have Christ in Matthew saying, "Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak." Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? It was when the men slept that the enemy came in and sowed the tares among the wheat. I mean, there is something about this watchfulness that it is critical that we both watch and pray. To pray without watching is to reduce is to, lim- is to say we don't have any responsibility. Because all I have to do is pray. But he has told me that I have to watch and pray. Amen. So I'm going to watch and pray. I can't say I can't pray. Lead me not into temptation and then rush headlong into a place where I'm going to be tempted. I mean, Dave's been trying to give up chocolate for years. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> but he keeps going to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. So he's, so he's never going to be able to give it up. I mean, in reality, in reality, if my goal is to not do it, then I have to take caution. I have to be watchful. I mean, we're walking through the We're walking through the mall. And there's times where my son and I have to turn our, our eyes away from away from what's in the window or what's in the what's in that room, what's in that store. Why? He he thinks he knows why. I absolutely know why we have to turn our heads away. He's still learning why, but I absolutely know why. Because if my desire is to not end up like David, I have to be watchful. Because those things are coming through my eyes. And they get, it's, whether it's my television, whether it's my internet, whether it's a book I read, it's all around me. There's no way to escape it. But it's recognizing it. It's recognizing the importance of watching and praying. I'm dependent upon God, and that's why I'm praying, because I can't watch enough to keep me out of sin. If for no other reason, because there's an old man who lives in me who's still attracted to what I'm watching. So I've got to be then dependent upon God, which is why I'm praying. Amen. 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 The second point we want to look at is the road to sin in the life of a leader. Um, I think we we see in, in uh, those verses two through five of that 11th chapter um, in second Samuel 11 chapter, we see a definite progression with David that I think we want to take. Make note of remember, these things were written for our instruction. And to the extent I can understand what led up to this, I can I can put some things in place to prevent me to p- potentially prevent me from falling into the same kind of sin. So look at what he said. There's three things that stand out. It says that he saw it said that he sent and inquired, and then it says he lays, he laid with her. So there was this very common progression that you see through Scripture. The first thing he said is that he saw, and just as I said, just as I said a second ago, with his eyes, he saw her and that she was beautiful. So years later... David's son Solomon would write about, adult, about about an adulterous woman and what he said is and now oh sons listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth keep your way from, um, far from her and do not go near the door of her house that if you know, you know she's there so you don't even need to walk down that street you, there's no reason to stand in front of it because you know what's in there but David saw he saw and then it says he sent and inquired and look at verse three and note what, the, what his servant said to him. He said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Does anybody know what the, the, the in, according to the law, what the punishment was for adultery? Stoning. Yeah. For both the man and the woman. Adultery was death. OK, this is the same David who says, I delight in your law every day. So so he's already saw, and he's already, instead of stopping there, he's now asking questions about her. He's not asking questions because he just wants to know who his neighbor is, right? We know that's not the case because we know the rest of the story. But he sent and inquired, and the message is, that is a married woman. A servant has told him that's a married woman. Remember earlier when we read in, in Corinthians about the way of escape? Wouldn't it have been nice if something in his heart had connected to the law of God? Ah. Now all I need to do is go and repent about what I was thinking when I was looking, but instead, because sometimes what happens is that that sin takes a hold of us and he continued to move forward. So he saw, he sent and inquired, and then ultimately, he laid with her. It was inevitable. It was inevitable because of the progression of sin. James has something to say about that in the first chapter, verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I think we see all of these in this, in this account of David. In just a second, we're going to see death. But he saw, he sent and inquired. God provided him a way of escape. He didn't take the way of escape. And eventually he committed this sin with Bathsheba. We see the same progression in Psalm 1 and 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Spurgeon in his commentary on that verse says, note the progression. We've gone from walking in the counsel of of the wicked to standing in the way of sinners, to now sitting at this, with this, in the seat of scoffers, so I, it all started. It all started by just my looking. It all started by me just standing there, me walking by, and eventually, over time, what, what I found in my own life is that over time, I just don't feel as guilty as I felt. It just doesn't seem as bad because the more I do it, the less, the more I'm around it, the less bad it seems. Even though, even though I know the first time I saw it that I need to stay away from it. You haven't experienced this, right? so I'll be by myself I know Dave's with me so yeah so that that, but there's this progression there is this progression we see with leaders that if we're going to be the light because we are we're not going to be we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth then we have to be watchful and we have to recognize the progression towards sin Amen? amen 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 all right now, let's look then again. Now, let's look at the effects of sin in the life of a leader. Um, you know, just to give you a kind of an overview of these next several verses, because this runs from eleven six through twelve six. 6. Um, David caused Interesting. I know we just read it, but just think of the story here. So we've got David calls Joab to send Uriah to him because he's 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 now got his wife pregnant. And so, now again, the the, the the stoning is what's supposed to happen, but no one's going to stone the king. I mean, that's not going to happen. The only one's going to die is her. No one's going to order him to be killed, and it's going to happen. So he sends for Uriah. He sends to Joab, and he sends him and tells him, Bring Uriah, send Uriah to me. And then you'll note that he's asking Uriah all kinds of questions. I mean, that's just like us, right? He's asking questions, trying to buddy up to him. You know, I was trying to get Mary Beth to read for me earlier, so I was trying to be nice and say, hey, how you doing? So she feels comfortable reading. So what you have David, right? So you have him keep he brings him in, make small talk, then he sends him to his house where his wife is, it says he sends him to his house and where his wife is and he sends a present along with him. But look at Uriah, faithful, right? Faithfully, faithful in his duty, he is up sleeping with the servants. The same way we described David last week in his faithfulness. We now see that same faithfulness in Uriah in that the men are out there fighting, sleeping in tents. We've got the, the ark of God is in a tent. There is no way I can do this. And I'm going to be here drinking and sleeping with my wife. I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. So, again, David asked him why he wouldn't go home. He explains it, says it would be wrong. So then the next night, David gets him drunk. Again, in hopes that if I get him drunk, he'll go home. But again, he sleeps with the servant. And then David eventually seals his fate by having him placed on the front line. Uriah is killed. And then at the end there, we have, um, we have David marrying Bathsheba. When she had mourned her husband, Mary's Bathsheba comes into the, to the palace with him and then gives birth to their, um, to their child. So I think he probably believed the problem solved. I mean, the, the problem solved. Her husband's dead. She's with me. She has the baby. All is good at this point. You know, I think that if you look at closely at verse six, one of the things that I think happens when we think about the effects of sin on us and the effects of sin on, on a leader is that who we call up on during times like this speaks to the condition of our hearts. I mean, he, he sinned. He knows to go to God. Amen. But he didn't go to God. He didn't even call Nathan. His trusted advisor, the priest, the prophet, he didn't even call Nathan. He called Joab. He called someone who was loyal to him. He called someone who knowingly or unknowingly would help him cover his sin. Because when it takes root, when it takes hold of us, we then find ourselves doing things to try to conceal the sin. And and much like David, concealment can result in adding sin on top of sin. So he's already lusted. Lusted. Had the affair and now by trying to conceal his sin, he ends up getting someone, ends up having someone killed. He didn't get him killed. He actually ends up having someone killed. Proverbs um, 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. David knows this. David knows this. But he has attempted to conceal his sin. Amen. And here's the next thing that I think is even worse. Is that as we continue in sin, it hardens our heart. It begins to harden our heart. Note, he's not touched by Uriah's faithfulness. I mean, here's this man who says, I'm not going to go down there and drink and spend time with my wife and have sex with my wife. I'm not going to do that because, of, because we're at war. There's no way I can do that. And not only that, let's keep in mind, he's not just fighting for the people of God. He's fighting for the king. This man is faithful to you, which is why he's staying, which is why he's doing this. Nevertheless, because sin has started to harden his heart, he's not even touched by that faithfulness. The next thing you see, certainly in terms of seeing his heart and his heart is the hardening of his heart, is that he orders him to the front line. And he says to Joab, put him on the front line. And don't just put him on the front line. Put him on the front line and withdraw. Certain death, They put him on the front line and draw and, and withdraw from him so that he will definitely die because sin hardens our hearts. And the, and the more we continue in it, the harder it gets. Notice Cal, notice callous attitude toward the death, toward his death. You'll notice in verse 20 of the 11th chapter that Joab, Joab must expect the king to get angry. Because all these people have died. Because he tells the servant, you know, when you get there, the king's anger may rise up. And so this is what I want you to tell him. But look at what David says in verse, uh, verse 25. David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter trouble you. For the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. This man who we've seen have, has had deep love for the people of God. This man who is in many ways we talked about last night is this example is the example that is ultimately pointing to Christ and his care for his people. We have in front of us a man whose sin has hardened his heart in such a way that he can't even be sensitive to the things that are going on around him. I, I can't stress how important it is for us to stay connected to the vine. Um, for us to stay connected to the vine. That's the only thing that keeps us from this. It's the, all of us, it's the only thing that keeps us from it is our connection to that vine. Amen? Amen. The next thing we see is that sin has a blinding effect. And we see that when you go into the parable um, you know Nathan comes in and tells him tells him a parable and um, says there's these two people and two men in the city one of them's rich and one of them's poor has one lamb and someone comes into the town to visit the rich man and as was the custom when someone would come in to, to visit you would you you'd slaughter some animal you would have a big feast but instead of taking um, one of his the rich man instead of taking one of his um, Nathan tells him that he takes one of the one, one from the poor man and notice how outraged David is it says then David's anger was. Great. Greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Completely blind to his own sin. Not that he should have known that Nathan was talking about him. That's not what I'm saying. But completely blind. Keep in mind, he's gotten her pregnant and she's had the baby. So it's been at least nine or ten months. Since the sin occurred, right? So we could say 10 months to a year since the sin has occurred. There's been a time that has lapsed. His heart is hardened. He's blinded to his sin. I think we understand why Christ would say, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Because sin not only hardens our heart, but it blinds us, blinds us and puts in this particular case, puts David in a position where he's now judging where he's now judging the sin of someone who, killed, who took someone's lamb. Now, by law, he has to pay back fourfold. So there was a reason why that law was in place. I'm not minimizing that. But it pales in comparison. It pales in comparison to what happened. Sin is so incredibly deceitful. Which is why I believe Jesus implores us to abide in me and I in you. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We are going to watch and we're going to pray. We're going to watch and we're going to pray and we're going to do this so that we can stay abiding in Christ because otherwise this could easily be us. Maybe not this sin, but this could so easily be us. Amen. 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 But you know what's most beautiful in all of this is the unfailing grace and mercy of God. Um, without that, we'd be without hope. There would be no hope um, because we're going to fall into sin. We're going to fall into sin, hopefully not this sin and hopefully not some great heinous sin, but we're going to fall into sin. It's going to happen. Um, sometimes you can trace your steps back and you know where you got off track. Other times it was just in your face. It was, you just, you know, just, somebody said something and you responded. I mean, it was just it was just there. So sometimes it just overtakes you suddenly. Other times it's like, David, there's this road that's led up to it. But either way, what we see is the unfailing grace and mercy of God toward his people. And what a contrast between David's attempt to deal with his sin and God's way of dealing with his sin. See, David called a loyal soldier. He called someone who would help him cover his sin. According, although the scripture, the scripture is silent on it, but it doesn't sound like Joab even asked him why he wanted Uriah dead. What difference does it make? The king said, put him on the front line and pull away. I'm going to put him on the front line and pull away. Let's also keep in mind at this time that the king is representing God, right? I mean, he represents God's righteousness. And so it's a great and terrible sin that has occurred. But notice how God deals with him. You know, David calls a loyal soldier, but God sends a prophet. And he sends a prophet that is armed with the truth to free him from the bondage of sin. I am so thankful that God doesn't leave us to ourselves when we've we've drifted. He doesn't leave us to ourselves, but he pursues, actively pursues his people. Actively pursues his people. We may not see it in some of the people we know who have drifted, but if you're his, he is going to actively pursue you. It was God who prepared the great fish to swallow up Jonah. And he made it clear it was him. It was God who prepared the fish. He was pursuing him. Now, I'm sure at the time Jonah thought he was dying, (laughs) But, but he wasn't. He was leading to repentance. Remember after Christ um, um, came out of his, had risen from the grave, and uh, the messengers are telling him to go get the disciples? What does he say? Go get the disciples and get Peter. Now, why Peter? Because he had denied him three times. He had boldly said that I will never deny you, yet I've denied you three times. So, Peter, I don't want Peter to somehow think that I don't want him to come back. So, when you go get the eleven and tell him I'm here, be sure to let Peter know that I want him to come back also. Actively pursues us when we've drifted away from him. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Amen. So with this, in sending, um, in sending um, uh, Nathan to him, it's interesting. You know, David um, Nathan says to him that after telling him the, the story, he says that you are the man. You are the man. Um, reminds me somewhat of what was said of Christ. Behold the man. With Christ, there was a man who was innocent, who was being condemned to die. And he said, behold, the man in this particular case, he's saying, behold, the guilty man because of what you have done. Behold, the guilty man. You are the man. What he did is he used the Holy Spirit, uses the truth of God's word to convict the people of God of sin and bring them to repentance. And the beauty in this is that God is ever present to forgive He is ever present to forgive that sense that you have or that sense that people that you know that they have, that they can't turn to God. He is ever present to forgive. We just have to go back to him and do it. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is ready and willing to forgive when we've drifted. I think we also see in this that, that what was written in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three: the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. That, yes, we will fall, but God is holding on to our hand so that we're never cast headlong. But that we're going to be able to come back into fellowship with him because he's holding our hand. Amen. Amen. It's so beautiful. There 's one more thing I want to touch on before before we get uh, wow getting on time tonight, look at me Woohoo! <laughs> it 's only taking three tries <laughs> next week i 'm going long, just so you know, <laughs> come prepared <laughs> you know um, the next verses um, in verses ten through twelve and verse fourteen in this chapter, in chapter twelve don 't necessarily uh, tie directly to leadership, but I think we would be remiss if we didn 't um, briefly and prayerfully look at the consequences of David's sin Um, because God actually did deal with his sin. Um, I I think, you know, in these verses, one thing is for sure that God made it clear that although his eternal guilt had been remitted, there were going to be temporal consequences that were going to follow that at the end of the day, you're not going to die, which is what should happen. So that's mercy, not going to die. Um, But there are some things that are going to happen as a result of what you did. The first thing he says, and before we do that, if, I don't know if you caught it, but in, in the 11th chapter, the last verse, the very last line, it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so he's now, although it's been almost a, almost a year. Right. So truly, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, because he's let it go on for all of this time. Plenty of time for you to repent. But now he sent him a prophet with the truthful word of God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit brought him to a point of bringing him to a point of repentance. But now he tells him what he's going to do as a result of the sin. You're not going to die. Your eternal guilt has been taken care of. But I am going to deal with there are going to be some consequences. The first thing we see is that the sword shall never depart from your house. I'm not going to have time to dig into these. But if you'll read the rest of this narrative on through David's life, you will see that the sword never departed from his house. He says, I'm going to raise up evil against you out of your own house. You will see David on the run because of evil that's been raised up in his house. He says, your wives are going to lie with your neighbor. And not only that, everybody's going to know it. You did what you did in secret. I'm going to do in public so that everyone knows so that everyone knows. And finally, he said, and the child that's been born to you will die. If you look through those verses, note how many times the word I is used. I think that the Holy Spirit wanted to make it clear that later when we read about David's life, we won't think, you know, he just ran into a little bad luck. You know, he just ran into, no. God was directing it all. God had to, we said earlier, he was representing God. God had to clear his name. God had to clear his name. I mean, how come, if David can get away with it, then everybody should get away with it. He's our king. But no one could look at David's life after this point and think he got away with anything. He did not get away with it. God had to clear his name and he did it by dealing with his sin. If you, uh, He dealt with David in the same way that he indicated that he would deal with David's son. Turn back in 2 Samuel to the 7th chapter. In the 7th chapter, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Basically, in this, if you read the whole chapter, this is a chapter where David is wanting to build is wanting to build a temple or a house for God. He wants to build a house for God, and so he talks to to, to Nathan about it. And Nathan tells him to do what he, you should do as your heart has has told you to do. And then it says Nathan goes home, and God speaks to Nathan and says, nah, "He's not building a house. He's not building a house for me. So you need to go back and tell him. And this is what I want you to tell him." So if you, as he's talking to him, if you look at verse twelve. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Here's the important part. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David and he dealt with David the same way. In other words, he, he, he is going to discipline him. He is going to correct him, but he's never going to withdraw his love for him. And although we don't have time, if you get some some time tonight or this week, prayerfully consider Psalm 89 verses 20 through 37. Note the shift in focus on David to what I think is a focus on Jesus Christ. And he says the same things about he doesn't say his son, he says your children. And he says, I am going to discipline them with the rod of men when they commit iniquity. But my steadfast love, I'm never going to take from them. Amen. Amen and we saw it here in David we'll see it in Solomon's life and if you look closely you're seeing it in your own life You've seen it in your own life that there are times. Absolutely. We said this on week one. There are absolutely times when when what's happening is because of righteousness. There are other times when it's happening because of my sin, not a one to one relationship between a sin and a action. That's not what I'm saying. But there are times where God is absolutely correcting us. Hebrews is so clear about it that God is correcting us just like I'm supposed to do with my son. If he doesn't sit up and I'm kidding, he's all right. (laughs) Just want to make sure. just paying attention, <laughs> just teasing. So no, absolutely. That, that in the same way that a father is supposed to discipline his children, God does the same with His. The beauty in all of it is that He's not going to take His love away from us, though. Amen. Never going to remove it. So here are the final thoughts. You know, where are you today? Um, where are you, or do you know someone that's on this road? Um, someone who perhaps has been neglectful. Um, of of doing those things that allow them to abide in Christ. You know, is that you? Um, Is that you that you can say, absolutely. I have been been neglectful of those things that keep me abiding, abiding in Christ. I think what Jerry said this morning was so important, and that is that faith is to see something about Jesus that speaks to our fear and enables trust. I think it's so important that if that's where you are, that there is a God who is still ready and willing to take you back in. Remember, he's not going to remove his love, but you may have been neglectful. You can now start again. Amen? Amen. Have you laid your eyes on sin? Is there some sin that you are contemplating? Have not acted on it, but it's there and you know it's there. Perhaps the message today is, to, is for, in order for God to provide and remind you that tonight he provided you a way of escape. That if David's heart had latched on to the law of God, he never would have committed this sin. Actually, if David had gone to war, he wouldn't have been there to see her on top of the roof. So is that where we are? Is that where you are? Do you know someone is there? That's where I would encourage him to go. Have you already acted on it and going about it as if you haven't? Have you somehow figured out how to conceal it from everyone else? Uh, Then maybe God sent this message to open your eyes that you, just like David, can be brought to repentance and restoration. You just have to go before him. You just have to take whatever it is to him and he's willing to hear it. The beauty in this, I said earlier, is that if all of this can happen to David... That in all of his greatness and all those things that we admire in him and that he can fall into what is one of the most heinous sins we have in all of scripture. We see that God's mercy is still sufficient to sustain him. And it is for you. Absolutely. That God does and will forgive. Amen. If you're not here, you're not on this road right now. Thank the Lord. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious heavenly father, again, we just thank you for this time that you've given us together. We thank you for this example that you've left for us in your word. Um, We thank you. We pray that this was handled in a way that um, demonstrated your glory, demonstrated your beauty. Um, that it provided sufficient warning to all of us, including me. Nevertheless, that we were also reminded that in the event that I fail to heed the warning, there is a God in the heavens who is there to forgive and that you will draw me back to you. I thank you for the love that you've shown toward us and uh, that you've demonstrated toward us. Please keep us seeking after you. Please show us this week the places where we could work harder to abide in you, that it could remain so much a part of our focus. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.